This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Carnivora. Get healthy and stay healthy with nature's nutritional powerhouse. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about veterinary hospice with Dr. Mary Gardner of Lack of Love. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. Our little dog developed this limp problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out and had it analyzed and everything. And uh, but the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivoric. We started that and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling did. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm really excited to speak with Dr. Mary Gardner, who's the co-founder of Lap of Love. Dr. Gardner, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Just so our audience knows who you are and can figure out a little bit more about you, do you mind just giving us a little bit of background about who you are, where you trained, what you do, and a little bit about Lap of Love? Yeah, for sure. So I actually am what they call a second career veterinarian. So my first career is in computer software. And my first heart dog um, died from from a pretty tragic accident. And that uh, loss changed my life. I decided in my 30s to return to school and become a veterinarian. And so at the age of 35 from the University of Florida, I graduated and started to do general practice until I found my my calling in end of life care and, and hospice care in the home. And so my vet school classmate, Danny McVitie and I co-founded Lap of Love, which provides end of life care around the country. So now we have almost 200 doctors under our umbrella providing this care. But I think the, the loss of my own dog is really what made me remember why I love this, this type of, of work, right? So I understand that the loss of a pet can really change somebody's life drastically. And if I could make that end a little bit better, support the family, help them in their decision-making, then I know I've come full circle in my career. And so I absolutely love this niche. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much for all that you do. Now, I wanted to talk to you about veterinary hospice and talk about quality of life. It's an important topic that stems in both human medicine and veterinary medicine. And I'm a big believer that you should have this crucial conversation with your family members when it comes to your two-legged and your four-legged. And I don't know if you read the book. I'm sure you did, uh, Being Mortal. It's like right next yeah, to me. So yeah, so great book by a human surgeon. And he talks about how we assess quality of life in humans. And in human medicine, their goal is to preserve lifespan, right? Without oftentimes considering quality of life. Well, in veterinary medicine, it's a hard topic to talk about euthanasia. And you're probably wondering, why should I listen to this episode when it's just a downer about euthanasia? Well, it's such an important topic. And I really want you to tune in because we're going to talk about some things that you may not feel comfortable asking your veterinarian. We veterinarians are really pro quality of life, right? We're animal advocates for animals who can't speak for themselves. And so we always want to work with family members to make the decision that's best for them and best for their family. Family. And again, such a hard topic, but I did want to start by asking, first of all, how can a pet owner evaluate quality of life? Or, you know, that question we hear all the time, how do we know when it's time? Yeah, that's a big one, right? And <laughs> I will usually spend a good hour with a family going over this to make it very custom to, to what their pet is dealing with. And, and I think that's what, that's what we have to realize is that there's not just such a flippant answer to this, right? It's not just it's not just when they're not eating or it's not just when they want to do something because I look at a couple of components. The first is what are the ailments or diseases that they're dealing with and what is that going to change in their life? So if you've got a Labrador, like we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, one time and they love to eat, right? Well, if they've got mobility issues and arthritis, they may still continue to eat as long as we bring them their food. But if they've got cancer or something that makes them feel sick, that's going to change their, their lifestyle. That's going to change the, the, you know, their, their daily living. So the disease or the ailment that the pets are dealing with is going to be a big factor of this conversation. Also, I don't want to be a downer, but how they will die from those diseases is really important. And so, so many people will say to me, I just want him to curl up in his bed and go and, you know, pass, you know, in, in the sleep. And that's how I hope I go right. Definitely. That's like, I want to go with some Oreos and a bed, like that's it. But if you've got a dog with mobility issues that cannot move, that may not ever happen. You must make that decision. And it's really hard. But if you've got a cat that's got heart failure, the way they die, if we leave it to mother nature is not good. And so that is a very important conversation to have with your veterinarian is, is how will a pet you know, decline from the ailments that they have? How long will that be? If you've got a cat with cognitive dysfunction, it could be years or kidney failure, years that you've got with them and how do you manage it? So the other thing I'm going to look at is the pet's personality and how well they are, are they managing with their ailments, with their symptoms, with all their, their, also their treatments, right? So I'm currently basically in hospice with my dog, Sam, and she is at the acupuncturist and rehab today and she likes to go. Like that's an enjoyment for her. But if it wasn't, I'm not going to force her to go. If she can't handle her harness that I'm, that I have her, I'm not going to put her in it. And I might have to make a decision sooner than later. So every pet's personality is different. And another huge component is the, is the family's belief system. So what one person may do is not what others may do, right? So I did radiation for my dog and not everybody will. I've done chemotherapy. Not everyone will. I've done surgeries. 
Sometimes I've done nothing also, right? It depends on the situation. So it's a big conversation. And also there's, lastly, I call them the four budgets. The most common budget that we all know of is the financial budget. Can I financially care for my pets so that their quality of life maintains its, you know, its, its goodness, if you will. And that's whether that's medication, whether that's things around the house that I can afford, to, you know, whether it's a harness, can I buy that harness? The other three buckets in my financial planning, if you will, is the, is the time. These guys take a lot of time and Sam needs to go to the bathroom every four hours right now. And if I wasn't stuck at home because of COVID, I wouldn't be able to to deal with that. Right. So she needs to be held by me outside to go to the bathroom physicality. So can I handle Sam? She's 72 pounds. I'm luckily a big girl, so I can manage that. Not everybody can lift something that, that size. So that's a part of my talk with the family. So also they don't feel guilty. I don't want someone who's petite, who has arthritis themselves to feel bad. My mother had uh, two hip replacements and we had to euthanize her dog sooner than she would like because her dog was fecal and urine urine incontinent. She couldn't, my mother could not bend down to clean up this, you know, the accidents that were happening. And then she felt guilty about that. And then last is the emotional budget. There's There's a lot to caregiving. There's a lot to saying goodbye. Some people, this is the last living link to a family member and they're having a hard time letting go. So it is not just an easy answer, but many ingredients to consider. Wow. We have had very similar experiences. You know, it's so hard as a emergency critical care veterinary specialist. Most of the time I deal with a lot of euthanasia in the emergency room and it's sudden people aren't expecting to make that decision. I'm telling them that their pet has internal bleeding and either needs, you know, a several thousand dollar surgery or to be euthanized right away. And it's so hard. And it's especially hard at the ER vet because I don't have that already established relationship that your family veterinarian may have long-term wise. So it's especially hard. Now, Dr. Gardner and I went through two very similar things. When my dog was diagnosed with cancer, a brain tumor, I drank a mocha, a four-hour energy drink, drove 14 hours nonstop to Colorado State for stereotactic radiation therapy. But I will also say that I spent the cost of the equivalent of a used car for treatment. And I wrote about this on a blog on my website, drjustinelee.com. How much would you spend on your dog? And, you know, for the 13 months that I got, plus a couple of emergencies, plus blood work, plus <laughs> yep. chemo, plus veterinary exams, you know, it cost me about $37 a day for those 13 months. So definitely a pretty penny, you know, but when you broke it down, I needed that time. And so I always tell people, you know, you have to make that decision with your vet based on the prognosis. Uh, emotional, financial, mental decisions, previous experience. Um, But just keep in mind that we as vets will never judge you on that. Uh, But I always tell people, you know, if you ask 10 different vets, I'll tell you 10 different things. One would put their dog right to sleep right away. Some would just put them on prednisone just to keep them comfortable for a month. And some would be like Dr. Gardner and I, and, you know, do radiation therapy and, you know, spend thousands of dollars to do as much as we can, as long as we believe that our pets were pain-free. So again, just be aware there's a lot of decisions out there. And ultimately, um, talk to a veterinarian or even a licensed social worker or a therapist about it, um, because everyone wants to be your advocate to make sure that your pet is comfortable and safe and pain-free. Now, you talked about hospice and 
you know, it sounds like what you're doing for your dog. It's so much work, but it's all done with TLC and it's so important. You get to spend that time. Do you mind just talking? What exactly is the definition of hospice and what does it involve? Okay. So hospice is really a family centered, but medically supervised care for your pet when they typically have about three months left to live. So in human hospice, it's usually that they must be, they must have a diagnosis actually, where they will probably die within six, six months. That's if you want to get nitty gritty in the human world, now that can be extended. And what they have found is actually when people go into hospice sooner than later, they are actually living longer and better. It's people who are, who are waiting because they think it's the death sentence, right? Well, you've already been probably given that. Now we got to care. And so for me, it's not about how they die. It's about how they live until that last day. And it's not about not doing euthanasia in, in veterinary hospice. It's not about only wanting natural passing. It's about how well we are caring for that pet until the end. We are usually in our practice at Lap of Love, we're not chasing numbers anymore. So we're not, we already have a diagnosis of kidney failure. And if it stresses the kitty cat out because, you know, to go get blood work done to find out what his kidney values are, it's not going to change what we do, right? We're still treating their symptoms. We're treating that he's nauseous. He's dehydrated. He's not eating. We got three things I'm going to give for that, regardless of what his BUN and creatinine is, right? So we're not chasing those numbers. We're chasing the care and, um, and helping that, that pet live better. So it's also preparing the owners to say goodbye. And I feel for all the emergency veterinarians and technicians, because they do see so many emergent care where it's a euthanasia that is, that is necessary. But in hospice, we can really prepare for the end. It could be one day. And that's, I've gone to a home and I was like, you know, it is, it's time for shadow, but I know that you're not ready and I'm okay leaving. Let me give a few things and I'll come back tomorrow. So that way you guys can prepare for it better. And I have had, I've had to kick some dogs and cats out of hospice because they started to do better. <laughs> they're like, oh, now he's running around again or he's eating again. And so, and they've done better for over a year, but it is typically a few weeks to months that we have with our pet. I remember though, when I started doing hospice, there was another well-respected veterinarian. And he said to me, I was, I was very proud. I was speaking at a very large veterinary conference for the first time. And so I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm speaking. And he said, well, what are you speaking on? And I said, veterinary hospice. And he said, Oh, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in prolonging suffering for my own selfishness. And I just said, well, then you need to come to my talk because that's not what it is. It is really caring for them and ignoring our pets when they're old or with terminal illness. That's prolonging suffering. This is taking an, an active role in their care at the end. Now, Sam, Sam was diagnosed with, with lymphoma in May. And so I did uh, regular chemotherapy and then decided to do radiation in right before Thanksgiving. For me, I wanted no regrets. And I know if I pillowed my head the day after I make her an angel and thought, what if radiation worked? <laughs> I will always regret that. And I knew that it's not going to hurt her. So I've done that. And we're still seeing. And every single day is a, is a blessing. I also call this the roller coaster because you're going to have good days, bad days, bad weeks, good weeks. You're going to decide to do it one day and then not do it. So I also say Sam is like on the on the flight pattern to heaven. And every now and then she starts to descent. And then I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> We're pulling back up to 30,000 feet. That's a great way of thinking about that. I love it. I always tell owners each day is icing on the cake when you get to that 
and yeah. stage. And there's a lot of things we can do to keep our pets comfortable. And, you know, my old dog, JP, had a really picky appetite, even as a regular adult dog. And as he was deteriorating from his brain tumor, I had to entice him more. And there's actually appetite stimulants you can use. Sometimes steroids will help with that. I had to try different types of food. I had to, you know, buy rotisserie chicken. I tried prescription canned food. And occasionally my dog would have diarrhea from the hot dogs and filet mignon and ice cream. But we can treat that with anti-diarrheals or a high fiber diet. You know, we can treat the nausea, the vomiting with anti-vomiting medication. You know what I'm doing? That's kind of weird. (laughs) And because my girl's got some soft, some soft stool and I need to make sure she goes to the bathroom before she goes to bed. Because if not, I'm going to wake up to some stuff on her bed and she's a a furry beast. She's got a lot of long fur and that's none problem. So I'm stimulating her to go to the bathroom before the night. And everyone's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so I am fecal stimulating her to go to the bathroom. So these are these things that guess what? That is going to save a huge argument in my house in the morning when it smells. And, and that has saved her life probably more than anything is me being able to do those weird yeah. caregiving. When in doubt, talk to your veterinarian because there's a lot of things we can do yes. just to help with that. And again, we always want to balance this with quality of life, but a lot of things we can do to help improve that. So when in doubt, again, we always want to talk to and counsel you on that. Now we had so much more to discuss, but we'll be right back after these messages. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check, a nationwide pet insurance alternative. With Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EZPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. My cat had issues that developed in his eye. And six months later, they had to go ahead and scrape the eye. And three months later, the same ulcer came back on in the same eye. So my veterinarian said, you know what, let's go ahead and remove the eye. So that night, I heard the carnivore advertising. So I said, you know what, I'm going to order this product. That way, at least I tried. They did the procedure. They did all the tests. To their surprise, they said, I don't know what you did, but I'll see you in two months. I, I kid you not. This product saved his eye. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been talking with Dr. Mary Gardner of Lap of Love. Now, I did want to briefly talk about euthanasia. A lot of pet owners don't know what it is or they've been present for it before. Do you mind just describing what you say to pet owners or what exactly is happening? Like, is, does the pet undergo pain or anxiety? And 
The next right. question I wanted to ask is, do you think pet owners and or their children should be present? Oh, these are great questions. So a lot of times people think we're stopping the heart. So they think we're giving a you know cardiac arrest, let's say. And so what we do, most veterinarians in the United States will first give your pet a, a sedative. So they'll either give it under the skin, like a vaccine or in the muscle or maybe in the vein. So that way your pet is just calm and comfortable. And that is typically when we're able to, we, we do that here in the U.S. And the second medication that we give, the actual euthanasia solution, what it does is, is an overdose of anesthesia. So the medication itself is, is an anesthetic and it's a massive overdose. So all that anesthesia does is it really kind of, it plays with your brain. So it, it puts you to sleep, sleeping, and then the overdose just simply, it cannot wake up again. The brain is what is in charge of all the organs and muscles. And when the brain is gone, no more messages are sent to the organs and muscles to continue to work. So there's no messages being sent to the heart to continue to pump or no messages being sent to the lungs to continue to breathe. So the messages that are already out there get used up and then they'll slowly, you know, slowly slow down and pass. And it is technically very, very peaceful. So much so that people have said to me, I wish we had this when the time comes. So it is not painful. What can happen is sometimes when we give that pain relief in the first, the, you know, sedative or the pain relief, they might start to feel better because it is good stuff that we give. Also, a lot of pets that are in pain are hypersensitive to things that are normally not painful. So for instance, I've, I've had many golden retrievers. Now a golden retriever never has a bad day. They've got a joy gene and a love gene all combined labs too. And if they're in a lot of pain or, or nauseous or whatever from a disease and you pet them, they can snap and you might not even pet their painful hip. They're just so hyper. And there's an actual medical, you know, condition that you're, that they're got this hypersensitivity. So just touching their leg to get a catheter in or just that little needle through the skin for the sedation that's typically very, you know, painless, like a vaccine can cause them to, to yelp or feel bad because they're already feeling bad. I get migraines and anybody who comes near me during a migraine feels my wrath, <laughs> like ah, turn off the lights, like keep me calm. So there are some parts of this that may appear to be painful, but the actual process itself is not. Now, your question about who should be present, I think whoever the pets love most, right, should try to be present. And I think what the sedation allows for is for everybody to calm down, including the pet. A lot of times we're all worked up over this. We've got anxiety. We, we know it's coming the next day, the next hour. And when we see our pets sleeping comfortably in front of us, if you were nervous about being present, that usually washes away because now you see that they're, that they're peacefully snoozing, if you will. Um, but I know many people who can't be present, even, even for a human that may be dying, they, they just cannot bear the thought of, of that loss and, and watching that loss. And I res I 100% respect that. There's been some controversy about how dare you can leave your pet. He, he knows he's looking for you, right? Well, yeah, my pet looks for me. My pet knows me. But also you give her a nice little cupcake and some love. She's going to like the technicians and the staff too. So it's, it's okay if you can't be present. But if you can... I do think it's beneficial to watch the process and say goodbye and, and be the last thing that they hear. And isn't that a gift? I think I've lost one of my own pets, Dr. Lee. I, I lost my first Doberman. He had, um, he had a disease and I went to go help a family in their house and his disease took his life when I was not home. 
And I came home to find him dead. And that was horrific. I wanted to be there to hold his paw and thank him for, for all that he did for me. I wanted to make sure he had a cupcake. I wanted to make sure he was, you know, listening to my voice. And, and for me to say, I love you, Neo. I love you. Thank you. Right. And I will always regret that one for not being brave enough to say goodbye sooner. So although we all want them to die at two o'clock in the morning, the worst thing sometimes could be to wake up and they've been, you know, and they've passed without you. So I would try to encourage those to be present as much as they can. And I love children to be present. So I am, I actually don't have children myself. So I remember when I first started to do this, I'm like, how am I going to talk to the kids? (laughs) I love talking to the kids. They're great. Sometimes I do need guidance from the family on what they wish for just religious purposes of where they say the pet is going to go. I've had a few atheists even that are like, no, it's going back to nature. And so, okay. (laughs) I take their guidance, if you will. But I think they say the most amazing things. There's an age though that is very young that it's not that I think they recognize what I'm doing and they see death, but they recognize their parents crying. They recognize that there's stress in the air. So if your child can't appreciate that saying goodbye or whatever, I would say have someone watch your child that, you know, usually under five around this time. And so that way you can cry openly and not worry about scaring your child. Because I think it's very important to cry. I'm a hot mess when it comes to this day, right? But over five, I think they're they're amazing. And they ask such pertinent questions, (laughs) you know, very direct. I get them involved in the process. I give them clay so that we make a paw print. I let them choose what fur I'm going to clip. And I've had some that want to listen to my stethoscope and listen to the silence, I always say. So I would encourage it. You know, it is interesting. Being that I have a toddler, I will also say I've had some kids present in the room and they definitely can ask very provoking questions. But then I've seen some kids handle it honestly, better than adults. And, you know, I'm a hot mess when I lose my pets. Um, But I've also seen some kids who um, just say, okay, I'm going to give them a kiss and then I'm done. You know, so it is really interesting. It is really interesting. But I always say, when in doubt, ask your vet, see how the situation is. It is, I think, really important to have some closure. But again, wanted to reiterate, it's okay if you don't want to be present either. I always say, I want your last memory to be a good one. While it is very peaceful, it is very hard for some people, especially if they have a, you know, a family member who passed away or a similar situation. It's painful for us. It it is. It's hard, man. Let's, let me tell you, there's, and I always, myself, I will euthanize all my own animals and that's not every veterinarian can do that. Right. And I, I just, I don't want anyone else present. I'm, I am the hot mess. I need to cry. There's snoggle coming out of my nose. I'm wailing. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. And that's where sometimes as veterinarians, we have to, um, in, you know, respect the silence. Just let them be. You know, kids can do that. Sometimes they can be distracting too. So it's a conversation to have, but definitely not to avoid. You know, I see a lot of cancer in the ER, and um, I encourage you guys to check out a previous episode that I did with Dr. Sue Edinger on ER Vet on Pet Life Radio, where we talked about the top five different types of cancers dogs get and cats get. But after my own dog was diagnosed with cancer, when I had to say the words, your dog has cancer, for the first couple of months after JP was diagnosed, it always brought tears to my eyes because it's so hard to hear that. But I also encourage you, if you don't want to do chemotherapy, you don't want to do radiation therapy, you don't want to do all that, that's okay. But it's worth scheduling that appointment with the oncologist because they can quote unquote, quote you the numbers. Why is that important? Because when 
Seamus, my 19 and a half year old cat was diagnosed with squamous cell. The dentist, the veterinary board certified dentist said to me, the average survival after diagnosis is five weeks. And it was exactly five. Oh my gosh. That happened to me yeah. too. They know it, man. They know their yeah. stats. So they know the statistics. And the reason why that's important is because then I know what I need to look out for. I also wrote a blog on this on my cat was diagnosed with squamous cell. And I've had hundreds of pet owners, cat owners say, oh, I feel so guilty you know, that I missed it. And you shouldn't feel guilty, right? Because even as a veterinarian, I didn't notice until my cat was, you know, making weird movements with his tongue. But the benefit of having those quote stats is that it gives you a little bit of peace. So you know how long to keep your cat on pain medication, or how long um, you should try, or you know, what you want to do. So really important. And again, it doesn't commit you to thousands of dollars of, you know, chemotherapy or anything like that, but always important to talk to the experts with that. Dr. Gardner, any last tips you want to leave with us? Oh my goodness. You know, one of my favorite things to do with families too, is, is to do a, a joys of living list, also known as the bucket list. Right. And, and I think that will be really helpful for those that are needing to say goodbye is making sure that you check off all the things that that, you know, make Sam, Sam, or my Neo, Neo, and whether it's not going to be what they were probably, you know, three years earlier, it's not a, you know, big long walk at the beach, but is it just an extra car ride? Is it visits from old girlfriends? <laughs> is it, you know, a steak dinner? Is it sleeping in the bedroom? You know, is it whatever it may be is to do that because, you know, I, I can't always help with the feeling of loss, but I can help with regret. And one thing we can do is make sure that the pet has everything that they love done beforehand. And it really is helpful for, for that thought of, of regret. And then the, the last thing is say, I love you every day, because studies have shown that if you can say, I love you to a human and dare I say a pet, then your grieving process will be better because that's what I regret is I cannot say, I love you to Neo. And so say it every day. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think it helps. Excellent information. You know, sometimes we're so rushed in life and especially with dogs, my belief is for environmental enrichment, they should have two 15 minute episodes of exercise or 30 minutes of exercise a day. And after I lost JP, um, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to stop pulling on my dog when he's sniffing, because that's just such an easy way for them to have environmental enrichment. And just because I'm in a rush doesn't mean I have to pull my dog away from a lamppost because he wants to smell the dog urine on there. So, you know, really, yeah, really letting your your pet have, have uh, that environmental enrichment. The other day, Sam was pulling me in the other direction. I'm like, what are you doing? And she wanted, and I let her have it a disgusting, squished, dried, dehydrated frog in the middle of the room. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you can have it for like 10 seconds, then I'm taking it out. But man, was she That's happy. Funny. And I'm like, what, what are we, what am I going to do, Sam? You're, you're circling, high, you know, heaven. So it's okay. That was her joy, her joyless. That's great. That's great. Well, Dr. Gardner, thank you so much. Fantastic information. Uh, just so great to know that veterinary hospice is an option as our pets age or uh, become sick or ill. And uh, thank you for all that you do with Lap of Love. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Do you mind just giving us a couple of resources where pet owners can find you if they need more information? 
For sure. So lapoflove.com is our website. And we actually offer tele-advice consults for quality life assessments for anybody in, in the country. So wherever you live. And we also have a great deal of information on pet loss resources, books to recommend for children and things like that. And so you can follow our social media as well, Lap of Love or myself, Dr. Mary Gardner. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Gardner. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee, or email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Pet Life Radio ER Vet. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Dr. Mary Gardner and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.